Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. With your blessing, I'm going to continue a little bit of what I taught last week. I'm going to talk to you a little bit further this week. I want you to know that God is working my heart over on this topic and I need to continue to share it. I need to take you where God has taken me in my study as I've sought his will on this. It is very, very important. I'm just going to tell you this is, this is important. It, it, this is real stuff. God is speaking to us in, the, in, this, in this realm. And so tonight I'm going to talk to you about a contract with our wanderers. A contract with our wanderers. And I'm going to take you to Ezekiel chapter 34 starting at verse 1. And this is God speaking to... This is Ezekiel reporting the word of the Lord. He says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? And you can be seated this evening. We're going to stay in the, in the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to spend some time in there this evening. And the only other place I'm going to take you is the book of Luke chapter 15. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to take you, basically compare those two, but it just transitions into the New Testament message that Jesus brought in, brought in Luke 15. Last week I spoke to the, those of you who were here able to make it. I know, that, again, there's a lot of sickness and we're missing so many. But I talked to you a lot last week about the prodigals. The, 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 I call them the wanderers. That's why this is a contract with the wanderers. I'm going to be really careful about this now. In, in those three positions that I gave you last week, I mentioned to you that one of the things that God has really impressed upon me, and it was, it was really amazing because at the same time, uh, as we were entering into transition, and Brother Kylie and I were praying and fasting together for vision, etc., uh, he got the same thing from God. He was impressed in this same particular area. Because as you've heard me say a thousand times and other people that are here, God is taking us to a new place. The camp is moving forward. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire has moved down the road. We're picking up the camp. It's just the way it is. The world has changed. The culture has changed. The church is being pushed into that next place, and that's a good thing. And, and, and so in that process, we began to seek God for that vision and, and really try to understand what is it that you're really looking for us, God? What are the key things? What do we need to do? Well, some of them were very, very obvious, but the one thing that, that God really impressed upon us, he laid upon us, and it was amazing the way we came together and we discussed it, and I began to share that, and he said, I felt the same thing in the Holy Ghost, and that is that God wants to bring home our own. He wants to bring home the prodigals, if you will, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about, there's, sometimes there's misunderstanding about the, about the parable of the prodigal. And there's a very key information that we have to understand about what the prodigal is and what that means. And I'm going to contrast that with this message from Ezekiel about the shepherds and, and the job of the shepherds as God begins to talk about his flock, okay? And so the reason I called it a contract with the wanderers is because I'm, I'm positioning this. This is what's, what's on my heart, what's God laid with me is because there are some that have wandered. We have lost some. They're, they're, they're adrift. They've decided to go elsewhere. Now, there could be some that have wandered and they've just gone right off the deep end. They've just gone completely debased. They've gone out into the world and they're just doing everything we don't even want to think about. And there are some that are just, 
they're, they're just down and, and they've pulled away and they're hiding away and, and they're okay as far as people and they're not doing horrible things and they're not just terrible, awful people, but they're, they're hurting and they're away. And so they're certainly not living for God, but I believe there's a lot of different dimensions in, in, in those areas. And so we've got to be careful because if they do come back and, and God said, this is the impression, this is what he gave on us. He said, we have the opportunity to bring home what is ours. We're going to go first. We're going to put a priority first on the ones that have wandered, the ones that belong to us. They're his people. They're full of the Holy Ghost. They've been baptized in Jesus' name. They have this experience. They've been through this process. They're apostolic in the core, that thing that's in their heart, that thing that every once in a while when they get to thinking about it, it's twinging and it's tweaking them and it's, and it's telling them, I'm not happy. Charles Spurgeon once said that no man having experienced this process could ever be happy living in a life of sin. I believe that's true. And so we know that hook is there, that fish hook is there, that piece is there. And so, like never before, I believe that God, and I know Brother Kylie believes that God wants us to put that emphasis on what's ours first. That's our territory, that's our people, that's our our sons and our daughters, that's our brothers and sisters, that's our moms and dads. That's ours. That doesn't belong to the enemy. And I'm sorry to say that in a lot of ways, I think sometimes, and and I think every one of us is guilty of this, sometimes we just, because it's hard and because it's a difficult relational thing, sometimes it's a challenge, we've just sort of slipped into accidentally, without intention, slipped into a resolve that that's just the way it's going to be. I don't want to say that we've given up but I want to say that maybe we're hoping something's going to happen somewhere, something's going to happen to them, something's going to go on in their life, something is going to go on, and they're going to come rushing back, like the story of the prodigal son, right? But I believe that that is not the successful plan that God wants. I don't think that that is our position. I, I, I'm just convicted of this. Now, you may not share the same conviction. This, this is First Quartal chapter 2. What I'm saying to you is I believe that we can storm the gates. I believe that we can get a hold of the enemy and tell the enemy that that's not yours. That's not your territory. You, that doesn't belong to you. And just because we've resolved to fall back because we just don't know what to do, we don't want to cause conflict, we don't want to hurt them, we don't want to have trouble in our lives, we're not really sure what to say because if we say something the wrong way, they're going to send them further in the other direction. I get all of that. It doesn't make us bad people. It doesn't mean that we're sinning. We've defiled God. We've done anything terrible like that. But what we've done is we've slipped into a natural place in, in the human existence that we've just kind of said, well, it just seems seems like that's how it's going to be. How many of us have maybe said, well, they're 18, they're 20, they're 25. They're adults now. They're responsible for their own thing. Um, How many of us have said that? Don't answer. But I'm here to tell you tonight that while that position is probably not wrong, they are their own person. They are their own adult. They have decisions to make. They have their own will. That doesn't mean we give up. That doesn't mean we assign to the devil something that the devil has no true real power of keeping and holding on to. That idiot doesn't even have the keys to his own house. And yet he's got possession of some of our family and some of our people and our children. God snapped up the keys to his own kingdom. He doesn't have any control of his destiny. And yet he's got hold of our family. 
And I'm prepared. I'm prepared to lead as many as will follow into a process where we say no more. This day and no further will I resolve that we're just going to give up. That one's just impossible. That's not going to happen. Folks, I'm telling you tonight, if you stand up and believe it, you get some fire in your bones and you decide, yes, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. We're going to put a focus on it. I'm telling you right now tonight, they're going to walk through that door and they're going to make a way down to this altar and they're going to repent and they're going to turn their lives around. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, I want somebody to say Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Get convicted about it. Get desperate for it. Because I think the greater shame, the greater shame is if we stood by and we knew, we knew that we had the ability to fight this fight. And we stood by and said, nope, I resolved it before they're gone. I resolved it before and that's the place I'm going to stay. That would be the shame. That would be the sin. Yeah, we can't change their will. We can't make something happen that we want to happen. It's got to be their will. But by God Almighty, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to see if I can bend that will, to see if I can plant a seed, see if I can get a hold of God through fasting and through prayer and through desperate desire to see if I can bend that will. And if at the, like Vince Lombardi said, exhausted on the battlefield, If I've lost, I've lost. But I can at least say, I fought the fight. I gave it a shot. Just like the video said you saw on Sunday. Man, that hit me so hard. This, by the way, this, when I said this started in transition, I'm talking about a year and a half ago that God put this on Brother Kylie and I. And it it took that video, it took that, it took the deeper look at this picture for me to really get it. When that guy in that video, Pastor Ken Carpenter, stood up there and said, man, what could be worse than hell? And that is standing there in the flames and have your child come up alongside you and say, dad, why didn't you do it? Dad, why didn't you stay in? Why didn't you? That hit me so hard. And I began to dig a little bit deeper. And I said, man, God, you've got to have a message on this. There's got to be a process. There's got to be something that we can get a hold of in your word. And he directed me to Ezekiel chapter 34. When he was talking to the shepherds in Ezekiel 34, he wasn't talking to just pastors. Okay, understand, he was talking to leaders. He was talking to civil leaders. He was talking about the people who are in charge over people. As we go on in verse 3, it describes these guys. He's, he, he, essentially, what you're getting is a snapshot of what I believe to have been at that time the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the leadership over his people. Verse 3 says, Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken. My God in heaven, if that ever comes our way. The ones that we're missing, the ones that have wandered, they're sick, they're broken. They need to be bound up. They need to be healed. They need to be reached out to. God, help us if we're ever guilty of what these guys were guilty of, that we stood back at this altar, we stood back in this church, and we're eating the fat of the word, and we're enjoying all of this great ministry, and we're just enjoying having great church. And yet out there, We're not binding the broken. We're not binding. We're not healing the sick. 
Neither you, excuse me, neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Oh my goodness, when I read that. What if all it took was to invite them? Maybe they've gotten to a place where they're so desperate, life has beat them up so badly, they, the, the pride has taken them over, they just don't know what to say, they don't know how they're going to come in here, what's it going to be like when they walk in the doors, are the people going to make a fuss over me, are people going to criticize me, am I going to be shamed, what if the, the answer to that whole thing is simply this, they're just waiting for the phone call, just come today, just come to church today, maybe they're just waiting for that invite But these guys, the guys that God was speaking to Ezekiel about, it said that you haven't even gone after the ones that were driven away. Neither ye have sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And here's what happens. In verse 5, and they were scattered because there is no shepherd. In other words, no one that cared, a leader that was really looking after them, a person, a, a, a leader in that group. When they were scattered, my sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Please understand, folks, I'm not saying that this is us. I'm not saying this is the church. I'm saying what God said when I said, God, what's the precedent? What is it you want us to do? What is the meaning of this process? What is the drive behind this initiative? He said, Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 34, this is what it looked like then. It's a warning that we've got to be careful. Listen to what he says as he promises to hold these shepherds to account In verse 7, therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for the flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. Shepherds are going to be starved out. You're not in charge anymore, is what he was saying. You don't get to sit back in the high places. You don't get to feed yourselves and watch the flock starve. I'm stepping in. As we go on in verse 11, he promises to do the work that the unfaithful shepherds wouldn't do. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country." That's his intention. That was what the shepherds were supposed to do. That's what the leadership was supposed to do. That's what the people that mattered, that knew, that had God, that understood the process, that's what they were supposed to do. Do you understand the action that's happening here? Go out. Go out. I will go out and bring them in. I will go out and gather them. Those that are scattered, I will get them. 
See, there's something to this process. And I told you I was going to contrast this with the prodigal. So hang on. Some of you might already be thinking, well, the, the father didn't go after him. The father didn't go after the prodigal. He went out and got messed up, and then he came back. There's a clear distinction here, and I, I want to share, because both are relevant. Both are relevant. Verse 14, I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. They shall lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture that they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away. Let me say that again. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away. And I will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. It says to me, folks, is the ones that stand by idly, the ones that just resolve. We've just lost that territory. It's gone. Sorry, Lord, I just don't care all that much anymore. It's inconvenient for me. not saying this is us. I'm telling you, it's a warning that we can't get there. We can't go that direction. We can't be about that. You understand? He's warning us. He's telling us, don't be that person. We've got to be the ones that are following that guideline. Find the ones that are broken. Go out. I will destroy the fat and the strong. I'll feed them with judgment. The ones that stand by idly. Now this is beautiful when we go to verse 17. Look, look what God's word says. God speaks to his flock. He speaks to his own people. Got to be careful now. He's talking to the flock. There's responsibility on both sides, you know. And if I'm not clear about that, I said earlier, yeah, they, they, maybe they're 18, maybe they're an adult, maybe they're 20, maybe they're 25. They've got a will, they've got responsibility, but you know what? God speaks to them too. They're not just out there victims. Oh, I didn't know what happened. I just got sucked out of here. Uh, something happened. Uh, one day I woke up and I couldn't figure out how to get to church. That's not true. There's ownership on their part. This is a two-way deal. And God starts to lay that out. In verse 17, he said, And as for you, O my flock, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he-goats. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture, but ye must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures also? What he's saying here is that, now this is the church now, this is the flock, okay? He's given them... We've got good pasture. We've got a lot of good stuff here. But what he's saying is, is you hang around in that same pasture long enough and you just sort of dwell in that one place. Okay, he's talking about complacency. He's talking about staying in one spot. He's talking about not moving, not doing the things he just described as the shepherds. Because if you eat all that grass and you drink all that stuff up and you just keep stomping around in the same pasture, guess, what, guess what's going to happen? What happens when you keep running over the same piece of grass all the time with your car when you park on your, and you keep driving over it, driving over it, driving over it? Pretty soon there's no grass. That's what he's talking about here. And then he says, you go on, you drink up all the clear water. And, 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 and excuse me, he says, but you, may, you must tread down with your feet. Uh, the residue of your pastures and to have drunk of the deep waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet. Question mark. And as for my flock, they eat that which you have trodden with your feet, and they drink that which you have fouled with your feet. He's, he's, 
he, he's describing this process where if we're complacent, if we just don't move, if we don't get out of this pasture and keep on moving down, what did I say just a little while ago? The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud have moved down the road. We can't keep stomping around on this same pasture. The, the, it's all beaten down. There's no more green here. You understand? We got to move forward. We got to keep going on because we got to look for that flock. We got to continue to lead. We've drank the water that's here. Now we're just walking around in the mud. We're fouling it up. Do you understand? It's a clear picture for those of us who've been to the benefit of this great word. Verse 20 goes on. He says, therefore, thus saith the Lord God unto them, behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle because you have trust with side, excuse me, but you have thrust with side and shoulder and pushed all the disease with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. Okay, now I got to explain this to you. You have to understand this part. We just saw part of the flock that's just hanging around in the one pasture. They've stamped down all the good green. They've eaten it all up and they've stamped down all the stubble. They've drank it all the clear water. And now they've just walked it all into mud. He's not pleased with this. That's the ones that are hanging around in that, in that spot too long. They haven't moved forward. Come on now, preach with me. They haven't moved forward. They haven't moved on. Okay? But then he goes on to say, and he starts talking about the judging between the fat cattle and the lean cattle. See, the lean cattle are the ones that are moving. They're staying active. They're doing the things that God, that the shepherd has directed them to do. They're moving. They're staying lean. They're, 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 they're the ones that are in God's favor. The fat cattle are the ones that just sat around and ate up all of, that, all of that green, lush grass. And they've trampled it down because they've refused to move. But then it says, because you have thrust with the side and with the shoulder and pushed all the diseased with your horns till you've scattered them abroad. Folks, what this is talking about is people in the church that have taken ownership. They walk around with broad shoulders and they've thrust and they've pushed and they've knocked people around insensitively because they're standing on their territory and they've run people out of here. It's a warning. It's a warning. You understand what he's saying is if we get too proud, if we get too stationary, if we get too focused on what my piece of territory is, if we get too focused on this is my spot and I'm going to push you out this way, I'm going to thrust my shoulder and pretty soon I'm going to knock you right out of this building because you know what? You're taking my territory. You're threatening my spot. Hey, don't preach that to me, preacher. I don't want to hear that tough stuff. And throw a, sh throw a shoulder. That's what he's saying. The flock can do that to one another. God help us if that was ever something that ever happened here that sent somebody out of the way. But we can be, come on now, let's be real. We're in the flesh. We're human beings. But we can be like that. We can be a little harsh. Oh man, that brother was caught in something. He doesn't belong here. Oh, sis, I don't like the way you're dressing. You understand what I'm saying? It's very clear. The cattle are beating up the cattle in this picture. They're brutal to one another. And that happens. I'm not saying it's intentional. I'm not saying we're bad people. I'm saying it's a warning. It's a warning to us to get moving down the pasture. Verse 22 says, Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey. 
and I will judge between cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Now, I believe in this scripture, in Ezekiel's process here, what he's saying, he isn't saying literally King David. Time frame's wrong. What he's talking about is the house and the lineage of David. He's talking about Jesus, our true shepherd. He's going to judge the cattle to cattle. And if one of us is a cattle shoving people out of the way and thrusting our side or trampling the ground, he's going to judge that. We might get a kick. But he's going to send the perfect shepherd. Now the remainder of Ezekiel chapter 34 is, is God's promises for security and the blessings of his flock. And I didn't include it because I just, for the sake of time, but it, it's, it's a wonderful read. And it's, it's just like what we read all the time, the great and wonderful blessings of God. And I encourage you to go on and read the rest of that prophecy. So I want to talk, I want to get back to the concept of the prodigal. First of all, in Luke chapter 15, and, and, and again, I didn't go through all the scriptures. I'm just going to direct you there. I hope that's okay. Uh, generally speaking, I think we're, we're talking to the choir here. I don't see any faces I don't recognize. So I didn't, I didn't go too heavy on that. You can be there. Uh, I'm, referencing, I'm referencing Luke chapter 1 through, uh, of, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, 1 through 32 in total. Now, in these scriptures, we've got three key parables related to the ones that have wandered, the things that have been lost, okay? Three key parables, and it wraps up with the parable of the prodigal son. So I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. The first of the three parables there is the parable of the lost sheep. Again, we're back. I'm taking you right from sheep to sheep. But notice it's one of 100. You guys all know it really well, so I won't dive into it deeply. But basically the concept is, is that it says, who among us, what shepherd, having 100 sheep and one wanders away, depending on the translation you look at, it either says wanders or it says strays, goes, goes astray, excuse me. But which one of you wouldn't leave the 99 and go and get the one, right? We've heard that many, many times. I've preached about that. I've talked about that. And I, part of the reason I believe that's the case, because people say, what shepherd would leave all 99 of their sheep? Well, that's just assuming that you're leaving them to certain doom, that, that's, a, that's a bad assumption, and I've, read, I've heard people preach that. You're like, no shepherd would leave 99 sheep and let them all get, die and you know, go get one. That's not, that is not the model that Jesus is giving. That's not what he's talking about in that scripture. The reason the flocking and the grouping of the sheep is so important and that when one goes astray, because in the group, when they're packed together in the group, there's safety in those numbers. And, and they're a force. Sheep can trample down some serious stuff, just like I just pointed out here a little while ago. Uh, they're kind of a force when it comes to a predator coming in. The predators, if you've ever watched National Geographic, you understand that the predators no, ever go after the group. What they do is they go after the little one that wanders off because they don't know any better. Right? Are you hearing that? They don't go strong after the group. What they'll do is they'll go right after the one that's in the back of the pack, the one that straggles, the one that's a little weaker. And so when it says that the shepherd will leave the 99, it's because the shepherd knows that that 99 is a force to be reckoned with as a pack of 99. One, two, three, four hyenas, they're probably not going to mess around with 99 sheep, but they'll be running after that one. 
So you better believe that shepherd's going to leave that 99. He's going to go chase down that one that wanders. But it says that they wandered. This happens. Some of us have a hard time understanding. How can you come and be a part of this? How can you get filled with the Holy Ghost, get baptized in Jesus' name, and worship and praise and be a powerful force in this, in this awesome work that's moving forward, this Pentecostal apostolic experience that's like no other thing on earth, and get up and walk out? Some, we can't relate to that. Why would that ever happen? But here's the deal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the why. You can find out the why later. I strongly recommend it. But the point is, is we got to get up out of the camp and get after the sheep. Oh, man, it's, it's going to start with prayer. Our Monday night prayers, we're going to have a prodigal project section. I told you about the board last week. We're going to put a focus on this. There is going to be a powerful prayer portion of our Monday night prayer because we're going to put an emphasis on winning back what belongs ours. We're going to talk to the enemy. We're going to cast him down. We're going to call out the names, name by name by name, of the ones that we're calling back. Every single time, every chance we get. When you go home, those of you that got wanderers, can I just get a show of hands? If you're not embarrassed, if you don't care, if you're okay with it, and we're all a group here, does anybody in here besides me have a wanderer? Okay. Well, I hope what happens here in those prayer services, those powerful services, I'm fasting. My wife and I are fasting and praying, and we're including a prodigal section in our prayer, a time that we're going to focus on those that have wandered. And I hope what happens here incites you. And I hope the word spreads. I hope more people come. Oh, they're doing a, they're doing a thing for wanderers. They're doing a thing for prodigals. I'm going, to, I'm going to prayer on Monday night. Hey, did you hear those guys are doing this awesome prayer? They're getting together, and it's about that, and they're praying for other stuff too. Hopefully it catches fire. So in that first parable, it ends with a great message. It simply talks about repentance, right? So the goal is to get out and get that sheep in some way, shape, or form, get them back here. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I called this a contract with the wanderers because I have real terms. I have real things that I'm working on. And I, I want to tell you, I'd like to tell you that I have it all mapped out. I've got it all figured out right now, but I'm not. I'm going to spend, I started to do it, and I'm not ready yet. And I'm, I'm going to, I, I just don't think I've fasted and prayed about it enough. I'm, I promise you, promise, 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 the contract with the wanderers will be done. And it will be put into action. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Now, I told you in that first parable, the lost sheep is one of 100. So, wow, there's not, it's kind of a value thing, one of 100. So, well, one's gone, and, you know, we got 99, so that's good, right? Until we have 98, or 97, and so on. That's why this is so critically important. That's why God is leading us. But it ends with Jesus bringing them to repentance. That's what it's all about. See, just because they've wandered, there's no condemnation for them. There's no, there, there, there's no destructive terminology in there. See, in that Ezekiel chapter, God's talking about the shepherds. He put some onus on the flock. He did. There's some onus there. But there's some onus on the shepherds. There, there, there's something that we own of this thing. To put some emphasis on this. To make this part of who we are. Shepherds had a lot of different jobs, but one of them, one of them was to get after the ones that wandered off. Now, in the second part of that parable, as you go a little bit further down in Luke 15, is the lost coin. 
Okay, one's a sheep, one's a coin. I find it interesting that this is a different ratio. This is one out of ten. The widow still had nine other coins. But she lost the coin. She did all she could to sweep the house and find the coin. And when she found it, she rejoiced. Hey, called some friends and neighbors over. I found my coin. Again, how much value was there to that coin? You had nine other coins. But to her, it was so precious. She tore her house apart looking for it. She did everything she could do to find that one coin of ten. But then we come to the parable of the prodigal. The lost son. Look at this ratio. One of two. Uh Uh-oh. So we went from 100 items to 10 items to two. All right. Somebody's supporting me. I always know when my fact checkers are out there. They're either turning pages real fast or I hear, their, I hear the Bible app go off. And then God said, let there be... He was right. He, wasn't, he said, that's what he said. <laughs> Factcheck.org. I promise you, I really study. I do. Now... <laughs> There's a similar version of this in, the, in, in Matthew chapter 18. There's a similar approach to the, to the, uh, uh, the prodigal uh, parable. But I'm focusing on Luke chapter 15 because it's one of the three. And, and it, it just brings it down to the, the powerful value here. But I want to talk about the word prodigal just for a couple minutes. When you think of the word prodigal, anybody can shout something out if you want to, any of you Bible scholars. Um, when you think of the word prodigal, what do you think? What does prodigal mean? If you give it away, I'm going to come over there and pop you one. (laughs) I love Richard. He wanted to give it away. Anybody know what prodigal means besides Richard? When you think of prodigal, most people will say wanderer, someone who drifted away, someone who leaves, right? Someone who, 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 a broken relationship, the prodigal son, right? And sometimes we jokingly say, the, you know, what about the prodigal father? Well, that's not true. He didn't go anywhere. The word prodigal doesn't have anything to do with going somewhere or leaving or breaking relationships or any of that stuff. The word prodigal means wastefully excessive. Okay? Now, this is important. It means wastefully excessive. Richard, was that what you were going to say? Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. That's awesome. So it's important because the whole issue with the prodigal, and we miss this big time, there's two brothers. We put all the focus on the guy that leaves, right? Now, some of us, our wanderers that we're talking about, we have this experience. It's one way that this works. And what what the prodigal son did is he just went to his dad, basically. I mean, this is terrible. He went to his dad and said, hey, man, I want to be independent. I can do this on my own. And he asked for his inheritance. Well, when do, you, when do you normally get inheritance? 20 years old, 30 years old? Who said it? When someone dies, exactly. He was literally going to his dad saying, I wish you were dead because I want my inheritance now and I'm taking off and I'm heading out of here. Terribly painful experience. Maybe some of you in here have had that experience. Maybe a child has said that to someone in our congregation, said, look, I, I'm done with this deal. I'm out of here. I'm going to hit the road. Now, we know from Scripture that the prodigal son, he wasn't prodigal, 
because he left. He was prodigal because he took that inheritance and he went out and ran like a wild man, partied it up, spent his money on prostitutes and all kinds of crazy partying with his friends and ended up in a, a, during a, 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 a drought and, and, and in the pig slop. Broke and penniless and friendless. What made him a prodigal was the fact that he wasted everything. That he had the master. He had his father's treasure. He had his father's gold in his hand. He had everything right here. It was all there waiting for him. It was all there. He had his master's house, his father's house. A wonderful estate, I'm sure, based on what we hear. He had servants, and he was able to do this massive feast for him. He had everything in his father's house. He was a prodigal not because he left. He was a prodigal because he took that, and he wasted it excessively but the peace that we always miss the peace that just never seems to get preached about at least in my experience maybe someone has but what about that brother what about that brother are you seeing you seeing the contract I, I just read you Ezekiel right God talked about the bad shepherds and he talked about the bad sheep there was the brother there was the one that left. He was blatant. Everybody saw his sin. Everybody saw what he was doing. It was right out in the open. Took his stuff. Dad, I hope you're dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And I'm going to live in sin and all kinds of riotous behavior. But there was a brother that was left behind. But it looked like he was good. See, he was doing the things he was supposed to do in his dad's house. He looked good. He appeared to be doing okay, right? He didn't leave the house. But he was going through those motions, going through those actions. And boy, it sure looked like he was the good boy that stayed home and kept dad happy. But we didn't see it. We didn't see it until the son, the prodigal, the wasteful one, came back. Now it's obvious to me that the father, and which of us wouldn't, dad's which of us wouldn't, every time you stepped out of the house and off the porch? When you come back from the field at the end of the day. And that's what was going on. Because the Bible says that when the prodigal was returning, the father saw him from afar off. From afar off. Now, this is a man of stature. This is a man of dignity. This is a man of ownership and in a house and servants. And the Bible says that when he saw him, he ran to him. He dropped his dignity. He forgot everything else. Did he run up to him and say, Ha ha ha! I told you, I told you before you left. This is what was going to happen to you. You know, this was bad, and I dropped. He didn't do that. You know what else the prodigal father didn't do? And I say that jokingly, prodigal father. You know what the prodigal father didn't do? Before he left, he didn't stand there and mock him. He didn't yell at him. He didn't curse him. He didn't say, you're going to do this. This is bad, blah, blah, blah. He gave him his inheritance and he let him go. But the challenge that we have today, and I'll get back to my point in a second, but the challenge that we have today is the kids don't prodigal like that. The family members don't prodigal like that. Some of them are still living in our house. Some of them are still just doing their daily thing. They're going to work. They're going to school. They're, they're shining around. They're, pretty, they're just kind of hanging out there. They're not doing terrible stuff, but they're not living for God either. And so we're perplexed. What do we do? Because if we say something, we're not going to be their friend anymore. Or if we say something, they're going to run out. And we're going to lose them and we'll never see them. At least, even though they're going to hell and they're sitting in my home and they're not living and they're... 
and I'm being, obviously I'm being extemporaneous, but I'm, what I'm saying is, is that at least they're in my eyesight. And we're comforted by that. And we convince ourselves that, well, something's going to happen. Something will come along. God will give me the words. Some kind of thing will go on, and, and they'll come back. They'll mature. Something will happen in their life, and they'll figure it out, right? I'm just being real with you guys. This, we're the choir, right? I'm just being real with you. I'm just saying that we're, there's times when we're willing to sit there and say, even though we know in the back of our mind, if we dig real deep and we turn the light on back there, we open the door of the closet, we click on the little switch, we know that what we're going to see is they're going. If they're not living for God, if they're not doing what's right, we know what their destination is. But we don't turn that light on. We all don't open that door because right now everything's peaceful. Everything's okay. They're in the house. They come home every night after work and they seem to be pretty good and, and, and everything's great and they, they hug and they kiss and they love us and, and all that's great. Or they come over after church on Sunday and have lunch with us or whatever. And we comfort ourselves with that. But what I'm telling you is it's time to turn the light on. It's time to get into the back of your head. It's time to look at those situations, whether I don't care what the relation is or who the person is. And it's time to turn that switch on and say, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we know that a potty part separated from the body is going to shrivel and die. What do we do, Brother Cordell? What, what can I possibly do? Well, I already told you the first step. Get desperate. Get ready to fast and pray and seek God on a regular, consistent basis, unceasing, unwavering, standing before God saying, God, open the door for me. God, give me that opportunity. God, make those things that they're doing out there distasteful and unsatisfying. Make them miserable at everything that they do so that when the door opens and they come and they say, Dad, Dad, I need you. I need you because I can't do this anymore. I want to come back. And you're ready to embrace them. You're ready to run out to them as hard as you can. Drop your robes. Forget about your dignity. And run out to them and throw your arms around them and love them. Because I'm telling you, if we get desperate about this, if we take these steps, they're going to get there. I promise you they're going to get there before this thing is over. If i got to die presenting it, I'm going to tell you that's what's going to happen. God. The prodigal brother, he was just as bad because what came out of his heart, it came through his mouth when the prodigals, my God, you were in the house. You were eating from the master's table. You had everything at your fingertips. You've got all this glory and grace and worship and praise and word of God. You've got it all. And your brother who was hell-bound. He was on his way to a certain destruction. Turned around. He did a 180. He did a repentance and made his way back to the estate. How dare you stop and challenge me and question me that I would run out to him and celebrate and forgive him and love him. You see what came out of the heart through the mouth of the prodigal brother revealed that he was just as bad and maybe even worse The Bible tells us it's better that we'd have a millstone wrapped around our neck and we'd be tossed into the sea than to take part of this and throw it away, turn away from it. See, the prodigal brother is just as much as the story as his younger sibling. And I'm wrapping up here this evening. I'm sure most of you want me to.
We've got to ask ourselves some questions. We've got to get serious about this process. I'm a firm believer that as Christians, fired up, ready to go do the will of God, ready to be an impact on our community, ready to be an impact on the world, ready to do what God's called us to do to this new pasture because we're tired of trampling down the same place, walking through and muddying the waters and making the water bad, making it so that nothing will grow here anymore. I know that I'm looking at some Christians that are ready to stand up and say, okay, I'm going to take a next step. I'm going to get serious about this. I'm going to get real serious about it. And I think one of the things that we can do, grab a pen and paper, have a pad of paper handy, have a binder somewhere ready, and start writing stuff down. I take a pen and paper, I've done this, and I've listed every name, every person that I can think of that I know within my grasp and my influence that I know has had the Holy Ghost, that I know has been in an apostolic church, has been baptized in Jesus' name, and has walked away from this work. I don't know if they're in a pile of millstones at the bottom of the ocean somewhere, but buddy, I'll tell you, if God will give me the breath to hold, I'll dive in after them. Write it down. Write it down. Get some names. Get a list. Get a hit list. Brother Brown, do your salespeople make lists of prospects? Anybody else in sales? And then ask yourself these questions. Where are they now? Where are they? Where are they physically? Where are they mentally? Where are they spiritually? Think about where they're at. What is their situation? Are they so fragile? Are they just so much on the precipice? If you just say the word church, they're going to fly into a rage and run out the door and you'll never see them again? Or are they, are, are they dealing with something right now? Have they kind of hinted around to you? Oh, you know, things aren't going that well. You know, can you pray for me? How, how wide is the door open? Where are they now? How, where are they physically, mentally, spiritually? Right? What would you call that, Brother Brown? Grading the prospects? Right. I'm picking on Brother Brown because he, he's, he's a business owner and he uh, has a, a sales force and has all that. Inf- you have that knowledge. You were a sales You are a sales guy. And then ask yourself this question. I told you I'd get back to it. Why did they wander? You ever ask yourself that question? Because here's the deal. It gets it's stickly, tough, because we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to look inside here. This is where it starts, right here. You've got to be willing to ask yourself, why? Why did they go? Well, they got in with a group of friends, and, and, and that group of friends just runs wild, and they do all this stuff, and that was their influence, and, and they just took off, and then they don't want to go to church anymore. Really? Okay. But you better be sure that's it, because you're going to be praying against that. You're going to be coming against that stronghold, that thing that you write down in the why. That's what you're going to be coming against. That's what that contract is going to be about. We're going to find out the whys on these situations as best we probably can. You might have to guess on some. That's okay because God knows. But we should know why. Because if it was something that we did or something that happened in the church, they were offended, they were hurt, they were turned back, something went wrong. We got to know that. I got to know that. If there's somebody in here tearing people up and we don't know about it, and they're sending people out the back door. We've got to know that. Now, don't get me wrong. They have ownership of this. But offenses are real. Hurts are real. 
And if there's something that happened, a lot of this stuff is family stuff. It's kids, it's brothers and sisters. We gotta be real with ourselves. We gotta be honest with God because God knows what's in here. He knows what happened in that situation. And if we get real with him, we get before him and say, God, I did this. I, I, went, I went through a bad time as a mother or, or as a father or as a brother. And, and I know, I know I was insensitive to that situation. And I know I didn't want to deal with them. And, and I put the, I created this thing. Take ownership of it. Take ownership of it and repent it out of your existence. Let God see you acknowledge that you know that you had a part in why they wandered. If that's the case. What are their circumstances? Is it offense? Is it just sin? Is it pride? Misunderstanding? They just want to go party. They just, the world had such an attraction, they just, they just had to be a part of it. It's possible. But we need to know. Have they been hurt? How about have they lost hope that they can make it? I've heard that come out of, the, out of the mouth of people who've been here. I've heard them say it. I'm too far. I'm too far gone. God's never going to, he's never going to forgive me. And they believe it. Have they lost faith in the church and leaders and God? Well, I was at that church for a while, but oh man, I saw all those hypocrites there. Remember I told you we're the first hypocrite church of Conomwalk. It's a smoke screen. It's a cover-up. I get that. But get at the core of it. Because if it's just a reason for them to go out and live like lustful dogs, well, okay. But that's what we're going to pray against. That's what we're going to minister against. Spirit of lust, spirit of pride, and so on. They desired the world more than the word. Very common one. Partying, alcohol, drugs, relationships, women, boys. And in some cases, they're deceived. They believe a lie. They believe a doctrinal lie. Somebody gets a hold of them, pumps them up full of something. Man, there ain't no one God. The Bible says Jesus was his son. Stupid. I've had people say that. I ever tell you about the time I was talking with somebody and I was talking about Jesus and a guy looked at me and he said, yeah, when I was a kid, I had imaginary friends too. I just went like this. You can stand with me tonight. When I talk about the contract, I kind of stole that from Newt Gingrich, but the contract with the wanderers. And this is why. Because God put it on my heart to try to get inside the head of one that has wandered. For whatever reason, doesn't matter to what reason, doesn't matter but to get inside their head and inside their heart and try to see through their eyes and feel what they feel. Whether they're all the way out or they're halfway out or they're almost here or they're right outside the door. What's going through their mind? What's going through their hearts? Folks, you don't know. Like I said earlier, one of these folks that we know, it might just be one more invite one more chance they might be hurting so bad 
And they're just covering it up for you because they don't want to admit that they've lost. They've been beaten. They're in the, in the pig pen. They don't want to admit it, but maybe just one more word, one more urging, one more try might be enough. And so God started to deal with me in this contract idea, this idea of what common thread, what common approach, what guideline and set of principles can I share with you, my brothers and sisters, that we can share commonly in our approach with the potential of a prodigal or a lost sheep or a wanderer coming home? What set of principles, what contract can we determine? What can we do thinking about what they're feeling? Oh, if I come in there, they're going to be looking at me. You ever hear that? Everyone will look at me, right? Well, it's going to be pretty hard not to look at them. But what they're saying is they're judging me. So in that contract, item number one that we're going to agree on together in this ministry, this fixture, remember I called it a fixture earlier, this fixture that we're going to agree on, this is a no-judgment zone. That is not allowed. We are never, ever to judge somebody else in that regard. No judgment. We're not going to embarrass them. We're not going to shame them. And we're not going to label them. Don't make a big crazy fuss. If you were that person coming back and you've been gone for a while and things feel foreign and strange and weird to you, and five people come up and go, ah, it's so great to see you. You've been gone for 20 years. Is that going to go well? Probably not. Might take a little control on our part. Maybe a quick prayer under a breath. God, help me to be a minister. Help me to love him and approach him. Offer a hand. Offer a hug. But we're not going to label him. And that's why I was careful when I set a contract with the wanderers. Would you rather be known as a backslider a prodigal, a reject, sinner, or a wanderer. Now, I'm not trying to soften the blow here. Mind you, we have the Word of God. We have specific words for the things that go on. We got to preach the truth. We got to be willing to call sin a sin. We got to be willing to call backsliding and backsliding. These things are real. But you ask me, you tell me, excuse me, you tell me. Which one's going to start to win them back to listen to what God has to say and what the pastor has to say? You stand there and call them a sinner in judgment, embarrassing them? Or do you do like the prodigal father and you run? He ran and he grabbed him. He threw himself onto his son. He wept. He took the ring off of his hand. That's a very powerful statement, by the way. That's, that's the signet of the family crest. That's, that's his authority. And he put it on his finger, and he wrapped his robe around him, and he called for a feast. Anywhere in there did he call him a sinner? Anywhere in there did he say, you're a backslider? Hey, welcome back, backslider. Did he look him up and down? You smell like pig. No. He called for a feast. I'm a father. And I can guarantee you, if I was that father, those words wouldn't come out of my mouth. I guarantee you I'd be throwing everything I could. Here's my coat. 
Here's my ring. Here's a feast. Here's everything I have. Because I don't care about any of that stuff. But I'm going to praise Jesus. I'm going to praise God. And I'm going to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for bringing my prodigal home. Forget the rest. Jesus' name. God, Lord, help us to be obedient to your call, Lord. Help us to get a fire in our bellies and a desperation, Lord, to reach out and to seek the wanderers, God. The sheep that have walked out of the fold, the ones that are hurt, the ones that are embarrassed, God, the ones that are beaten down. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.